Are we free? What does that mean? If we're not incarcerated or oppressed by a regime of some kind, does that guarantee that we're free? Or is the real struggle for freedom within the mind? Can our own thoughts and desires be more of a prison than bars or walls? But it still doesn't seem like we're acknowledging the scope of the conversation. I mean, if you ask theologians, why does God allow suffering? The primary answer is free will. We even did that ourselves on this show. But why would freedom affect that? What is this freedom or free will that's so important and is it a simple thing? Or is it a complex substance with multiple parts and levels? Are there states of freedom that are more free than others? And can learning about freedom help us achieve it? Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. This is the program, if you haven't been here, where we take the recorded spiritual experiences of Emanuel Swedenborg, and then we take life, and we see, like, do these things match up? Does Swedenborg stuff help us understand life better? Can we come to a better way to navigate the human experience? My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm the host I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation, and if you guys want to be part of the program, get your questions in, and as always at the end, uh, we'll have some kind of discussion or dialogue, monologue based on those questions. We're going to look at spiritual freedom today, and we want to know what what is freedom? People generally agree that it's a big deal, but what, what is it composed of? And we're going to look at the different kinds of freedom. Swedenborg asserted that, that he learned that there are multiple levels of freedom, and they're actually very distinct, and the way that we use those affect how life goes for us. So we want to give you guys the tools to be free within freedom to move and choose and pick the right things. So let's get started, first of all, with what's the significance of freedom in the first place in part one. Freedom is crucial, but it may be even more crucial than we we generally realize and we're going to try to lay out some of the reasons why, according to Swedenborg. The first thing he says is that we are, we're essentially composing our spirits while we're here on this planet. Just like before birth, you're in the environment of the womb, and there you ha- your body has to be composed from physical elements. Your chemicals have to be arranged in the right order in order to make something that can come in and be a human being. We're forming our spirits in a similar way right now. The elements are coming together, but which elements form a spirit? A spirit is, is thought, it is feeling, um, it's composed of those things, but, but which ones become us? How do you, like here we eat food, and that food becomes part of us. What, what is that on the spiritual level? Swedenborg says, only things that we have freely chosen stay with us. The first quote of the night is from the heavenly city. Uh, this is also translated as the New Jerusalem and its heavenly doctrine, or in the NCE edition, which hasn't come out yet, um, New Jerusalem. So any of those will do. This is the translation called the heavenly city. This is number 143. Anything planted in our mind in freedom stays with us. But anything planted in our mind under compulsion does not last. The things we do under compulsion do not come from our own motivation, but from the motivation of whoever is forcing us to do them, which is pretty straightforward, except the idea, the the nuance hopefully there is that we make things a part of us, that what the things we do freely become a part of us. But it's not just really freedom on its own, or freedom is almost a 
one component in this uh, composite thing, which which is made up of two primary gifts. You could call them gifts. Swedenborg describes them as their abilities that exist within us, but they're constantly bestowed on us by the divine, and that these two are essential to this process, and that is freedom, but also rationality, and that something that we do in accord with freedom and in accord with our rationality, from our freedom, in accord with our rationality, that becomes a part of us, it becomes a permanent part of our spirit. And he describes this further in his book, Divine Providence. This is a clip based on his number 78. Whatever we have done from our freedom, in accord with our thinking, becomes a permanent part of us. This is because our sense of who we are and our freedom are integral to each other. Our sense of who we are is a part of our life, and whatever we do from our life we do freely. Then again, our sense of who we are includes everything that comes from our love, because our love is our life, and whatever we do because of our life's love, we do freely. We act freely and in keeping with our thought because we do think about whatever arises from our life or our love. We validate it in our thought, and once it is validated, we do it freely and in keeping with our thought. A lot of moving parts there, but don't worry, we're going to go over things a few times. It should all start to fall into place. We're actually going to continue in that number, Divine Providence 78, uh, picking up where he left off there. Uh, It makes a couple important points, too. We can also act freely and irrationally, and rationally, but not freely. These actions do not become a permanent part of us, though. They come only from our mouths and our bodies, not from our spirits and our hearts. The things that come from our spirits and our hearts become part of us when they are owned by our mouths and our bodies. Becoming part of us means entering our life and becoming a matter of life, and therefore becoming part of our sense of who we are. And that phrase there, sense of who we are, um, if you look at the Latin, that word is based on the root proprium. You'll see that that Latin word proprium all throughout this and the thing the video was based on, and that's essentially our sense of separateness or our, our ego, you could call it. There's a whole dynamic there with God is life, uh, and we are actually living from God, but we have this sense of separateness, and can we do anything on our own? How is that balanced? Check out our show, The Infinite in You. If you want to learn more, click that there. We don't have time for that whole discussion now. So there you have that. But also, as a bonus, um, we are going to be counting the number of these things that we do these references to other shows, because when we were sitting down and writing the show, uh, we realized we probably have more of these in this program than we've ever had. So let's count them up, see if it's true. So this one gets marked under the number one. Now let's just keep that count going. And if anybody wants to go back in the archives, (laughs) that sounds like a nightmare, right? And go try to count if we have more than this in any other episode, you're welcome to. uh, I will buy you a some kind of consolation prize, if you can find one. It's going to be an awesome prize. Anyway, in that quote, since I've totally distracted you from it, it also said that things that we have owned with our mouth or body become part of our lives. Uh, any, he means in that sense, owned is anything that we would do if we could get away with it. Things we've already committed in intent, if not if not actually in action, because there are some forces holding us back. That's becoming, that is in accord with our freedom and our rationality too. So this can be both positive and negative things, and because of the potential of positive, because this is the only way we grow and really um, 
not, I don't want to say create ourselves, but we we um, certainly are a part of the creation of what we become. These are crucial abilities in divine providence, which Swedenborg says is the, the guidance of God over all the events of life. You know, it's the reason why your life is like it is. Part of what it's doing is protecting these things, these freedom and rationality as vital. This is Divine Providence 96. Um, he says, uh, oh yeah, first, oh, first let's talk about um, irrationality. He, he mentioned, I forgot, there's so many things in that number before we go on. He says that we can be irrash, free but irrational and irrational but not free. So how do you splice those? He says that we could be free but irrational due to youth inexperience, simple-mindedness, mental or physical illness, or we could be under the influence of substances, we could have strong fear. So you could be really drunk, or you could be, uh, you know, just too young to make decisions. We know that. You, you can be, it's not like anyone's keeping you from anything. You're free, but you just can't really assess the situation. But he also says we can be rational, but not free, because we're under threats or punishments, laws are preventing us from acting, miracles and signs, visions or conversations with the dead. Now, these two here, uh, it's hard to point at this. All right. Miracles and signs, visions, or conversations with the dead. What? That takes away our freedom? Yes, because as he said before, what we do because we love it, that's what freedom is. And you'll see this definition coming up later. When we are only, we, we believe something because of some kind of miracle or experience that's undeniable, it actually doesn't, it didn't enter us into us freely. It was a compulsion in a way, and because we didn't choose it initially out of love, it can have an impact, but unless we make it a part of our lives freely, it fades away like everything else. That's why you get some people who have spiritual experiences, but then I don't think, I think it was just a trick of the brain. Uh, it has to, you have to accept things in freedom or they don't become a part of you. And that, Swedenborg says, is why God doesn't just come down and say, here's the deal, everyone, because the only door in is freedom. Also, physical limitations or the opinions of others might be keeping us back. So, like I was saying, so so those are how you need out of sync, but when they're in sync, that's when we're really making us who we are. And because those ideas are important, we those, those are our primary focus of divine providence. So this is divine providence 96. We finally made it. That italicized part at the beginning is a chapter heading, the Lord protects these two abilities untouched within us as things that are sacred through the whole course of his divine providence. There are several reasons for this. One is that without these two abilities, we would have no discernment or volition and would therefore not be human. Another is that without these two abilities, we could not be united to the Lord, and therefore could not be reformed and regenerated. Then too, without these two abilities, we would not, we would not have immortality or eternal life. That's a pretty good list of perks for freedom and rationality. Even the ability to be eternally conscious comes out of those. This is not something you could just, let's just have humans, but take away their free will. We wouldn't be conscious like we are without it. So that is why it's so important to divine providence to keep this stuff going. And the, the trickle-down effect of freedom in our lives affects every, every level of that consciousness that we have. If we didn't have any spiritual free choice, free choice in the area of spiritual matters, we also wouldn't have it in the rest of the more external day-to-day -day elements of our lives. Here's a little diagram to drive it home. We have spiritual qualities up top, civic, moral, and earthly concerns. Now, I don't mean that the those lower ones are stored by your cheekbone physically. It's just indicating higher things 
and lower things or more internal and more external things. So all of the life of our civic, moral, and earthly concerns. That would be the data, how do we function in society, um, finances, the real down-to-earth, sort of external but still essential stuff. Those things in our lives receive all their life from our spiritual qualities. And our the, the design is that the only true life that comes in is from the Lord, and that once that goes into the spiritual qualities, it gives the rest of us life. But the free choice is a barrier if we're using it to block out. It's something that we can choose. We do or don't want to accept love or, or the divine essence. So if we use our free choice to open that up, then we're suddenly in the order we were designed to be in, which is that from divine love and wisdom, comes down life into the higher, better parts of our mind, and from that, that comes out into the external stuff, into our actions, and into how we impact the world and everything like that. So that is the way that it's supposed to flow. And Swedenborg comments further on this in his book, True Christianity. This is from number 482. Our free choice in spiritual matters is like the air in our lungs, which we breathe in, hold inside, and breathe out in accordance with every change in our thoughts. Without spiritual free choice, we would be worse off than those who have difficulty breathing because of a suffocating nightmare, angina, or asthma. It is also like the blood in our heart. As we begin to run out of blood, our heart first palpitates, then convulses, and stops altogether. It would be like a body in motion, which moves as long as there is some force driving it. The body stops, when the force stops. The same is true of the free choice that the human will possesses. Both our will and our free choice could be referred to as living forces, because action stops when the will stops, and when the will stops, then free choice stops. So do we agree? Freedom is important. If you didn't need more, that's the end of everything for us if we don't have this free choice. So the freedom is absolutely essential for a number of reasons, even more than we covered there, but that should give you a basic sense of freedom is cool. We, We need it. We want it. But let's understand it, because not only does it keep us going, it's the path to whatever you want to call it, spiritual enlightenment, uh, regeneration, spiritual growth, heaven. It's the thing that gets us places, but there's multiple kinds of freedom. You know that? Yeah, that's, that's why we're here on the air. There's multiple kinds of freedom, according to Swedenborg, and each one of them has a particular role to play. So let's start at the bottom with what he calls earthly freedom. When do we feel free? What really, everybody uses that word, and I think we use it in similar senses. Like, I think we use it to describe a, a similar state of mind, but what is that state of mind? Swedenborg says that we are free when we can do what we want. And I think that that, that's, I mean, that's a paraphrase, obviously, but that's pretty universal. Even if you're, let's say you were being held back by ropes or something, and those ropes came off. The first time you would really feel that freedom is when you got, you wanted to move somewhere and you got to do it, right? We, we, regardless of our situation, if we can pursue what we want, then we feel free. He elaborates in Divine Providence 73, all freedom is a matter of love, even to the point that love and freedom are the same thing. 
Since love is our life, freedom is also essential to our life. Every pleasure we experience comes from our love. There is no other source of pleasure. And he uses love in this existential kind of sense as well as the way we think of it. Acting for the sake of the pleasure of our love is acting in freedom. There you have a definition. It only took us a couple sections to get there. There's a definition. What is freedom? It's acting for the sake of the pleasure of our love. Meaning, oh, uh, there's something I want to do because I, it feels good in a certain way. Uh, so that's, we're pursuing that in the freedom of that affection, because pleasure leads us along. The way a river bears its burdens quite naturally along its current. Since we have many loves, some of which agree with each other and some of which disagree, it follows that we likewise have many kinds of freedom. In general, though, there are three kinds, earthly, rational, and spiritual. Ah, spoiler, we gave it all away. Okay, I guess you could read this too. Those are the three kinds. What are they, though? You'll have to stay tuned, right? Because not everybody breaks it down this way. We're going to start with the lowest, outermost form of freedom, and this is what is sometimes translated earthly freedom. And uh, he, we have, so he says all, all freedom is a matter of love or of the, the joy we get from doing things. So they're just like there are different levels of freedom. There, there's different levels of pleasure or joy or gratification in us. We generally recognize this in society. There are sort of higher and lower levels, um, and we're going to start on the most, uh, the lowest, most external level of freedom, and consequently the the most external level of gratification. So this is back to Divine Providence seventy three. He says, "All of us." have earthly freedom by heredity, meaning we are born with a spiritual inclination to this freedom. It is what makes us love nothing but ourselves in the world, and it is all there is to our life at first, meaning we begin life, for better or worse, self-centered. Further, since all evils stem from these two loves, and evils therefore become objects of our love, it follows that thinking and intending evil is our earthly freedom. (laughs) So there you go. I bet you didn't see that coming. Uh, He says that earthly freedom, the lowest level of freedom, is the freedom to think and intend evil. And evil, you know, we've all thought evil today. It's not that drastic. It just means, you know, it gets very drastic, but there also is this side of it that's just run-of-the-mill selfishness, putting your desire for esteem or, or getting what you want or gratification ahead of the rest of the human race, um, and treating people as as means to our own ends rather than. Uh, so he says that, and there's a lot more we could say about that, but that's for other shows. It also follows that when we are support these intentions with reasons, we are acting in freedom and in accord with our reason, like we said before. Acting in this way is acting from the ability we call freedom, and supporting the actions is from the ability we call rationality. So we're, you know, rationalizing something. You've heard of that, that we work to justify. And Swedenborg says that's when it really becomes a part of you, is when you want to do something and you believe that this is an okay thing to do. That's justifying it. That's rationalizing. And Swedenborg says we begin wanting things that are essentially negative and justifying those. You know, this is before we have any kind of sort of waking up to how we impact the rest of the world. But why why are we born into this mess? Why why have this earthly freedom that we start and doesn't that cause a lot of problems? Well, the answer has to do with trees, specifically uh, these two trees right here.
Ah, man, my snapping has been a little bit off. There they are. Uh, these two trees, you may not know this, but this is an actual photo of the trees in the Garden of Eden, in the story, in the Bible. Swedenborg says that it's those trees in that story that are symbolic of the reason why we have this earthly freedom. This is true Christianity number 469, where he explains this further and gets into a bit of the meaning of Adam and Eve. Who cannot see, even from a great distance, that Jehovah would not have placed two trees in the garden, one of which was a stumbling block, if doing so did not have some spiritual significance? Does this square with divine justice? Why indeed did Jehovah, who was present and watching this happen, not distract Adam from eating? And why did he not throw the snake into the underworld before it exercised its persuasive powers? But, my friend, the reason God did not do all this is that he would have taken away human free choice by so doing. And yet freedom is what makes a human a human and not an animal. Once this is known, it becomes obvious that the two trees, one for life and the other for death, represent human free choice in spiritual matters. And there you can see that he's, he's almost making it sound like that's a literal story, that there was really a particular reptile that if God pulled it out, that could have changed the whole world. Um, but he's not talking that. He's, the whole story is allegory for these dynamics within the human mind. And if you want to learn more about that, take a look at our episode, The Meaning of Adam and Eve. There we, we go into detail on Swedenborg's explanation of that whole story, including the trees and what they mean and everything like that. So check it out. And then also, we get to count up uh, our little our register here. We're only at two. It doesn't seem like that many. So are we going to get there? Are we going to not? Well, why don't we add one to it right now? We did a show that was called why bad things happen, which we referenced in the intro here, because it's at this point we're talking about earthly freedom and everything like that, um, that we start to think, well, why is there evil in the first place? We get into the question of theodicy, the problem of evil. That's too big a conversation to have right now. Go to this show. That's where we have that conversation. So there you can learn uh, why, why is it necessary to let evil exist, or what, what purpose could it possibly serve? Um, all right, so we got that. Um, before we move on, I want to go back a little bit to Divine Providence 73, because there's another, um, another piece of it that we haven't read yet. Uh, he says, for example, it is from the love we are born into. This is, this is that earthly freedom here. He says, for example, it is from the love we are born into that we want to commit adultery, cheat, blaspheme and get even, and when we rationalize these evils inwardly and thereby make them legal, we are thinking and intending them because of the pleasure of the love we have for them, and in accord with a kind of reason. And to the extent that civil laws do not prevent it, we speak out and act out. We can behave like this because of divine providence. Since we do have that latitude or freedom, we enjoy the latitude naturally because we get this through heredity, and we actively enjoy this latitude whenever we rationalize it because of the pleasures uh, inherent in our love for ourselves and the world. So it's intense, but what it means is we have the potential to do these things with earthly freedom. Uh, the reason that it's all there is that God is goodness itself. God is love, and earthly freedom gives us an alternative to freely choose God. Because if, if God if God slash love slash goodness was the only thing on the menu, of course everybody chooses that. But earthly freedom is the freedom to choose evil or good. You know, so we have this ability to be human 
rather than robotics or an automatic receptor. And because the only thing that remains with us is the thing that we do in freedom with our rationality, earthly freedom is essential because it allows us to make that free choice of what is good. Humans essentially are meant to be a connector between the higher and the lower, between the spiritual and physical realm. We need to be the conscious connection by understanding and uniting both these terms, but that can't ha uh, both these realms, but that can't happen, according to Swedenborg, unless we're able to do some uh, rational, free selecting of the things coming out from God through the spiritual into our human hearts and human minds. However, earthly freedom has an expiration date, meaning if we stay in earthly freedom, if that's all that we do, we start to go south. Swedenborg says it's actually, it's, it's fine to be born into it and live an initial period in our lives in it, and even have it hang around as we start to move out of it. But if we grab it and focus it and make it the love of our life, then we run into problems. This is the Heavenly City 142. Doing harmful things in freedom seems to be freedom, but it is actually slavery. It comes from selfish and materialistic loves, which come from hell. So hell makes its appearance in here, according to Swedenborg. Heaven and hell are showing up in our minds all the time. And hell is constantly trying to capture us, bother us, tie us down in these kinds of thoughts and feelings that come from hell. We go into it in detail in our show, How to Deal with Evil Spirits. If you ever wanted to know, hey, I got an evil spirit problem, how do I deal with that? It's a good place to start is this program here. A lot of cool stuff in there. And as a bonus, we get to increase our number that's pretty good. Four is pretty good. Unprecedented? I don't know if we're quite there yet. The point is, you the way that hell operates, it captures you. You know, it grabs you, messes up your life. And this is the same way the this earthly freedom, if we use it to move into evil, or we feel like we're free, but we're not actually, because these desires are running our life and doing so, really in a tyrannical way. And you don't even have to just take Swedenborg's word for it. This is something that appears across spiritual traditions of all kinds, this idea of evil being a captor. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. From Sikhism, all vices are like chains thrown around the neck. In Jainism, wrong belief, indulgence, negligence, passions, the influx of karma results in bondage. And then in Buddhism, denizens of hell are bound by hate. Misery, blindness, lust, jealousy, these six fetters are the obstacles to liberation. So it's strong, clear language that it seems like, that, that it's, it's a capture, that you're being taken hostage by evil things, but it doesn't always seem that way initially. It can seem like, hey, this is great, but you got to live through it to actually understand that that's, uh, that's the road it leads you down. And we, our next guest, author Peter Rhodes, a friend of the show, been on the program before, he was willing to tell us some of his story when he found this out firsthand through his struggle with a few addictions he had, uh, the nature of that earthly freedom and what happens when you, you really go down uh, the rabbit hole with it there. So here's Peter talking about his experience. I guess I go back to uh, an actual experience I had when I was old enough to buy my first car, which was actually a Volkswagen camper, and I had my own money at a job. And I was working down in Philadelphia. I was free. And what I was free to do was go buy a Playboy and look at it in my van. And I felt so free. 
later I found out that that kind of freedom actually can't be satisfied. It's progressively addictive and destructive. And after a while, when that love is free and doing what it wants to do, after a while what it was doing was something that my higher self, or my true self, or my spiritual self, didn't want to be doing. And I wanted to stop, but I wasn't free to stop. So although that love was free to do it, I wasn't free to stop. And later on I had a similar thing with drinking alcohol. You know, if my wife went on vacation, I didn't have to wait till 12 o'clock to start drinking. I could drink whenever I wanted. I could watch, uh, you know, something on the video, whether it was good or bad, doesn't matter. I could have a second helping of ice cream. There's so many things I was just free to do. Uh, but my life was not getting better as a result of those particular loves, utilizing that freedom, using me to do what they wanted to do. And Swedenborg talks about any love, whether it's a good love or a bad love, it feels free when it's doing what it loves to do. Uh, some of the things, the loves in me, love of self, love of the world, we would call them evil loves or base loves or lower level loves or whatever, uh, what they're free to do is not what I want to be doing in life. They might be free to criticize my wife. They might be free to yell at my children because I'm not getting my way. There's a lot of things and a lot of loves in me that I don't want them to be free. So in recovery, which I got in recovery in regard to a sex addiction, alcoholism, and all that, is, oh, uh, those loves are making my life unmanageable. Or those loves expressing themselves are separating me from other people, my wife, and isolating me from being useful or I'm going to get another drink rather than going back to work, whatever it is. And so I was powerless over it. Step two in the recovery says there is a power that's greater than that. And step three says you might want to utilize another will that's available to you, your higher self or your higher will, or your selfless will. And you might want to make a change to those loves that when they express themselves in their doing what they want to do, loving God and loving the neighbor, your life actually gets better rather than worse. And they can actually go somewhere rather than uh, down a dead end, either to a hospital, a morgue, or a prison. <laughs> so then you start to experience, oh, that's why when in recovery, at the end you say, you know, thy will, not mine, be done. Oh, Thy will, not my will, be done. I don't want my will free, but I'm powerless over my love of self and love of the world. I'm powerless over my selfishness. So could you give me your will and plant your will in me? And I think that's the, the birth of Jesus, is the divine coming down to the human, saying, yeah, could you give me your will? And I start to think from your will and do from your will, oh, that probably the other one's making hell. Maybe that would be a... A trail towards heaven. That could be. And to the degree I actually identify my will, wanting to express itself freely with a resentment against Roxanne because she didn't get what I wanted to eat or whatever it was. And then I recognize that, no, I don't want that will. And the short term of regeneration in the writings is I would like to entertain that will and that anger and resentment of Roxanne and, you know, criticize her for the meal she went out of her way to make for me. But I won't do it because it's a sin against you. Could you have those loves swallow that and take it back from whence it came and replace it with your will? Thank you for the dinner. It's a great dinner. You know, it's great. Oh, that brings us closer. That's a conjunction. I love that story because it 
not only beautifully lays out the nature of earthly freedom, but it also takes you on the steps of how do you start to become free from that earthly freedom, freed from freedom. Um, and it's a good it's good to learn that kind of stuff and to try to take those steps while we're alive. And Swedenborg says that in the world of spirits, once we pass on from this life, it's hard, much, much harder to go against yourself than it is here. Here's where we really have traction to say, I don't want to, even though I part of me wants to do it, I'm not going to do that thing. So if you want to learn more about that, check out our show, The World of Spirits, for the conditions uh, after this life and why it's a little better to get the get the grunt work done here the payoff is to it's like saving for retirement it's it's worth it because you're really going to be glad you did all right and plus we can add that to our little actually i'm gonna try to stop this one ah. uh there we go five is up there man all right a lot more show references to go plus we had our earthly freedom there so it's, it's a little bit of a bummer in some ways you know it's all this negative stuff but there's a couple levels up there and maybe these levels can actually help our earthly freedom out so let's take a look what's the next level up it's part three Rational freedom is cool because it's the connector. It's what makes the first and third levels of our freedom uh, not only join together, but, but communicate, and it makes the whole thing into a functional unit. So it's very important, and you could picture it like a bridge, really. Rationality is the connector between our spiritual consciousness and our earthly or external consciousness. At a certain age, we can understand for ourselves what's going on and make informed choices. That's what rationality is. It's a bridge between the earthly and spiritual. So when we can, oh, I get it. This is what the situation is. I'm going to choose what's good. That's what rationality can do. However, it's not guaranteed to do that, because you can have plenty of rationality and still be a jerk, or even more so if you separate love from rationality. This is Secrets of Heaven, 1949, a great year. People whose rational minds are such that they devote themselves exclusively to truth, even religious truth, and not at the same time to neighborly good, are exactly like this. And cover your ears if you are like this, because he really lays into you here. Such people are peevish, intolerant, and universally belligerent. They see all others as wrong-headed, leap to blame and criticize and punish them, lack pity, and refuse to bother learning how to bend others' minds to their way of thinking. This is because they view everything in terms of truth, never in terms of goodness. In short, such people are harsh. And don't put your hands up, but how many people at home know somebody like that? Well, maybe even a religious person, or you've seen him on the news. Swedenborg was going after people in his day who were very, very religious, but but completely unkind. They missed the boat on the essence of religion, which is this love. But it's not just religion. Anything where you'd rather argue than empathize, we have this danger of perverting the rationality. However, so there's the negative side, but we don't want to just get every kind of freedom and then dump on it. So the positive side is it is necessary for us to think for ourselves. This is an essential part of it, or think, you know, as free of outside influences as we can, or giving the chance to. However, you also want to think freely uh, from the influence of hell as well. We have an episode uh, that's called The Lies That Evil Spirits 
tell us, um, which is all about, uh, you know, the lies evil spirits tell us. Sorry to ruin the surprise for you. But here it goes into um, the nature of hell's influence on the mind, hell's strategies to get us to think how they want to think instead of how we really should think if we wanted the truth or wanted things to turn out best for us. So we'll add that to our tally there. And we actually um, made a Swedenborg Minute about this very subject. This is uh, back when we were making these one-minute clips. And here we we brought up the idea, which at the time it was still like, this is a weird idea. Is anyone going to be into this? But we took a leap and it turned out okay. The Swedenborg says that hell is trying to influence us, trying to take over our rationality. And here's a little bit more on, on how and why they do it. There are people who dress up like police officers, and they go up to tourists and they say, hey, can we have your wallet? We want to make sure you don't have any counterfeit bills. And then they steal the money. We all know that vulnerable people, like tourists, get preyed on by others. Swedenborg was a tourist in the afterlife, and while he met a lot of nice people there, he was constantly being harassed by the not nice people. They weren't after his money, but after his happiness. And they would mess with his mind in all kinds of ways, criticizing and degrading the things he cared about, bringing up unpleasant memories, misleading him. So why does it matter? Well, because according to him, it's happening to you too. Just because we can't see them, doesn't mean they aren't trying to pull the same stuff on us. Ever notice how just about all of us get running negative self-talk, unsolicited critical thoughts about others, bouts of despair, etc. These don't just originate in our brain or in our life experiences, they're flowing in from the collective dark side of humanity, which Swedenborg called hell. The trick is that they make it seem like it's coming from us, like those are our thoughts, perceptions, conclusions, beliefs, and urges, when really we're being used by hell for their own agenda, which is to cause misery in us or in other people through the things they get us to do. But we don't have to just sit there and take it. As the bumper sticker says, don't believe everything you think. By resisting negativity and seeing it as something alien, we can detach from it and eventually turn the tide against them. It's like when those fake police come up saying, uh, can I see some ID first? Ah, uh, yeah, that was back when I used to wear long sleeves sometimes. The, there's a way to deal with hell, and that's to apply your rationality to your own thoughts. Meaning, I'm not just going to accept this because it's in my mind. Is it is that person really as stupid as my mind is making them out? Am I as terrible as my mind is making me out to be? Do I really want something like that? Be critical about it, because that's how you create the separation between you and hell. So rationality can be a very powerful tool for good, but also it can be a tool to, to create evil on our own. We can manipulate the settings through rationality. Swedenborg describes it in Divine Providence 73, we're revisiting a lot of numbers in this one because these are great numbers. Rational freedom comes from a love for our own reputation, either for the sake of respect or from the sake of profit. This love finds its pleasure in putting on the outward appearance of moral character. And because we love this kind of reputation, we do not cheat, commit adultery, take vengeance, or blaspheme. Since this is the substance of our reasoning, we are also doing what is honest, fair, chaste, and cordial, and freedom, and according to reason... In fact, we can even talk rationally in favor of these virtues. However, we're only doing it for those reasons, for um, esteem to be looked at well. It's not really for the reasons 
that you'd really want to be good in society, or we can be trying to act honest even if we're not because we know we're trying to gain people's trust. For example, this would never happen, but let's say we were an auto mechanic and we said, hey, we are, you can trust us, we know what to do on your car, and we know this guy only needs one tire, but we say, hey, you need four because we know he trusts us and we know we get four times as much money if we do this. That is might get you some money short term, but you can't advance this way. Swedenborg says that's toxic. Operating like that in a duplicitous way for nefarious reasons is poison to the soul. This is Divine Providence 73 again. It is our rational act, if our rational activity is only earthly and not spiritual, this is only an external freedom and not an internal one. We still do not love these virtues inwardly, only outwardly for the sake of our reputation, as just noted. This means that the good things we do are not really good. We might be saying that they are to be done for the sake of the public good, but we are not saying this because of any love for the public good, only because of our love for our own reputation or for profit. Consequently, this freedom of ours has nothing of love for the public good in it, and neither does our reasoning, since this simply agrees with our love. As a result, this rational freedom is inwardly an earthly freedom. It too is left to us by divine providence. So this is what happens if you don't use it for what it's meant to be for. If, if Go back to our picture of a bridge. Uh, let's say we use that rationality just to communicate with the lower levels. There's a block to the spiritual consciousness. All we're interested in doing is using it as a tool to manipulate things on the earthly level. Get I, I only have these earthly desires, which is wanting myself to be better than everyone or to gain advantage and to have gratification. How can I think this through? How can I understand the situation to get it serving me? That's what rationality is when it's become tied in with the lower levels. It causes us to be cynical. Uh, it sets a burden of proof far too high on anything spiritual or higher. It's fine to be skeptical about stuff, but when you have such an aggressive stance towards anything of a, of a, hey, there's something more than the physical, and that we say you have to prove it beyond the shadow of a doubt before I'll even give it the consideration, that becomes this thing that, that turns in on our own mind and causes us harm. Uh, however, like I said, rationality can be good too. We got all the negative stuff out of the way, but this rationality has this, uh, this paramount uh, this function of paramount importance, that it can be this connector, like we said in Swedenborg comments on how that's done in Secrets of Heaven 1950. He says, all genuine rationality consists of goodness and truth, that is, of what is heavenly and spiritual. Goodness or heavenliness is its actual soul or life. Truth or spirituality is what takes its life from goodness. Rationality without the life imparted by heavenly goodness shows all the signs described in the present verse. It battles with everyone and everyone battles with it. However, I'm adding that however because we're switching here to this is the good part now. Rational level goodness never fights. No matter how sharply it is attacked, it is gentle and compassionate tolerant and yielding since it comes of love and mercy. Even though it does not fight, it conquers all. It never plans to fight and does not boast of its victory. This is because it is godly and it is secure in its divine self. Nothing bad can assail goodness. Evil cannot even survive in the same surroundings with goodness. It reminds me of that saying that why is the, why is the ocean master of a thousand rivers? Because it lies below them. That this, this, this true rationality is not interested in making sure everyone knows it's right, it's not interested in proving everyone else wrong, or arguing, combating what it wants to do 
is serve and love and know the truth and, and hold the truth. And that's what rationality can do. When, it, when we have our mind in that order, then this rationality becomes the bridge that it's meant to be. Uh, it is the, the tunnel by which spiritual things zoom down into the outer earthly parts of our mind. This is how we connect the higher things we've learned to our day-to-day -day actions. This is how we open up and learn new things. This is where we get perception. All this rationality is a great thing to have because it connects earthly consciousness to spiritual consciousness. But what is that spiritual consciousness? I mean, what, what is the thing that, that enlivens these other two and makes it all function and makes it this path to everything higher and everything good? We're going to look at that now in part four. Earthly freedom, rational freedom that we've already talked about, those two are not meant to be ends in themselves. They're meant to be means to an end. The purpose of both of these two is to lead us, oh, lead us to this one, spiritual freedom. So but what is spiritual freedom? What does that even mean? Swedenborg describes Secrets of Heaven 892. As most people today have absolutely no idea what a life of freedom is, let me offer this brief definition. Freedom, or a life of freedom, is solely and simply being led by whatever we want to do. Wait, being led by the Lord. Being led by the Lord. Now that I didn't see coming. Right? We have being led by the divine is spiritual freedom. But how could that be freedom if you're being led by something outside yourself? The mystery continues. Divine Providence 98. It is one thing to act freely and rationally, and another thing to act in true freedom and with true rationality. Only people who have allowed themselves to be regenerated by the Lord can act in true freedom with true rationality. Others act freely and in keeping with a kind of thinking that they shape into an image of rationality. So not only are we meant to use rationality to be led by the divine, that's actually the only true rationality. Everything else is kind of a knockoff. That, that so, but how is that possible? How is it that you know, yeah, accepting a, a relationship with something and and wanting this thing to be the primary mover? How is that freedom? Isn't the definition of freedom that that it's just whatever we want to do, we do? So, how is being led by God freedom? Well, Swedenborg gives us this explanation from Secrets of Heaven eight ninety two. We first come into a state of freedom after we have regenerated. Until then, we are in a state of slavery. Enslavement occurs when cravings and falsity rule over us. Freedom results when a fondness for what is good and true takes charge. As long as we are enslaved, we have no perception of the actual state of affairs. The first perception dawns when we come into freedom. So if you're not, if you've never experienced true freedom, or if you've never experienced the freedom from evil, you don't know what it is. You think I'm an evil, or you know I, I want this, I want to do it. This is great. There's, I am free, but you're not, according to Swedenborg. We're gonna go back into Secrets of Heaven 892 because this number has a lot to say on this subject. This is uh, uh, subsection one. In a state of slavery, when cravings and falsity take control, those of us under their yoke think we are enjoying freedom, but this is grossly untrue. At such a time, we are carried away by the pleasures that our vices and the indulgence of them brings us, or in other words, by the pleasure that selfish kinds of love bring us, since it is pleasure that engrosses us, we see it as freedom. It's only when we gain this higher perspective that we can see it for what it really is. And I think about 
our man Jacob Marley. You guys know the Christmas Carol. Uh, he in life was robbing the what is it? Robbing the widows and swindling the poor, or whatever they did. And he was loving it. It got him what he wanted. He had the, all kinds of rush of power and gratification of finances and everything he spent that on. But when he got to the other side, to the spiritual world, he realized this is not freedom. This is these are chains that are around me. We were, I was I'm forging these chains, even though at the time it felt. Swedenborg has a quote where he says that it feels in life just like these silken ropes. But you realize in the other life that this is these these evil desires are like chains around your life. Returning to Secrets of Heaven, eight ninety two. Uh, whenever some specific passion leads us, no matter what direction it goes, if we follow it, we consider it a liberating thing. But it is devilish spirits whose company we keep and whose stampede we join that sweep us along. This we consider the epitome of freedom. In fact, we believe life would become positively miserable and even end if we were deprived of such a condition. It is not merely that we know no other kind of life, we also receive the impression that no one can make it into heaven except through misfortune, poverty, and renunciation of pleasure. But this is untrue, as I have learned from much experience. It's not that... It seems like when you're in the pleasure of something negative. It's like, this is such a rush. It's so fat. This is what's cool. That The other stuff I've heard, self-discipline, all that stuff, that's nothing. I mean, that there's nothing good in there, and that's only how it seems until you've really had a chance to live out this negative stuff, or you get some kind of higher perspective through an experience or something. And Swedenborg has a little more to say about it. This is the end of 892. Uh, we're going to play you a clip of it. We never come into a free condition until we have regenerated, and until the Lord leads us by means of a love for what is good and true. Once we arrive there, we are able to see and perceive for the first time what liberty is, because we then realize what life is, and what true pleasure in life and happiness are. Up to that time, we do not even know what goodness is, and occasionally we refer to the height of evil as the greatest good. When people who enjoy a state of freedom given by the Lord observe a life of perverted desire and false thinking, and particularly when they sense it, they are as horrified as if they saw hell gaping open before their very eyes. So you don't go back. Once you understand the nature of hellish freedom, once you understand the nature of heavenly freedom, if you if you have perspective, you oh, I don't want that. The hellish freedom, I don't want that at all. There's nothing like there's there's just no reward in it. Even though when we're engrossed in it and don't know the alternative, we think, oh, this is this is what it's all about. And this happens in movies all the time. There's some the, the evil guy just wants money, but he doesn't understand love is so much greater. It's cheesy, but that that's it's true. <laughs> when you really feel the feelings of it, it's just this, there's this depth in there to some of these things that you just never would grasp if you hadn't experienced it. And he, notice that he said the the spiritual freedom is a freedom based on love for what is good and true. We said before that all freedom is being able to follow love for something, that we have the affection for something and we get pleasure out of it, so we do it. When what we love is what is good and what is true, that's what we want to do, and that wanting to do the things that God wants, that the divine wants, that is spiritual freedom, because then we're going with the grain of existence, and that leads us to all kinds of great things. So what guides us toward, if spiritual freedom gets us into that flow, you want to get there, so what guides us toward spiritual freedom. This is from Swedenborg's Divine Providence 73. 
He says, spiritual freedom comes from a love for eternal life. The only people who arrive at this love and its pleasure are people who think that evils are sins and therefore do not want to do them, and who at the same time turn towards the Lord. The moment we do this, we are in spiritual freedom, because it is only from an inner or higher freedom that we can stop intending evils because they are sins and therefore not do them. This kind of freedom comes from an inner or higher love. At first, it does not seem like freedom, but it is nevertheless. Later, it does seem that way, and then we act from real freedom in accord with real rationality by thinking and intending and saying and doing what is good and true. Just a note there, he says, a love for eternal life. That doesn't necessarily just mean, oh, we're thinking about the afterlife instead of this life. Eternal life is the life of love because that is what lasts. We can be now building this love of eternal life in loving the things that are true and real, which is which is love, which is empathy, which is how other people feel, not just how we feel. That is, because that's the reality. You, you walk into an elevator, everybody else there is having experience and is just as worthy of not being harmed as you, but you just don't think about it unless you really gain the true perspective. We gain that perspective, and that's where we go. So Swedenborg continues this notion in, we're going to have one more little excerpt from Divine Providence, 73. This freedom grows stronger as our earthly freedom wanes and becomes subservient. It unites itself with rational freedom and purifies it. We can all arrive at this kind of freedom if we are just willing to think that there is an eternal life and that the temporary pleasure and bliss of life in time is like a passing shadow compared to the eternal pleasure and bliss of life in eternity. We can think this way if we want to, because we do have rationality and liberty, and because the Lord, who is the source of these two abilities, constantly gives us the power to do so. There, there's more freedom outside of being able to choose good and evil. And let, let me explain what that means. Here's a little, uh, here's a little split screen to let you know. So you have this uh, couple, right? Let's pretend these are the same people. They're actually different stock photos. But you see on the right, that is like they have the freedom to choose good or evil. You know, they can either say kind things to their partner or they can say harsh things to their partner, depending on whatever they want to do in the moment. What does that lead to? You know, but but if we get past that into hey, I trust you, you trust me, then there's this different kind of freedom. There's a freedom to open up, to get more intimate, to get more involved. There's a whole freedom there if if you're not constantly worried about oh, are they going to exercise their negative freedom. Also, if you're thinking about doing things, you can think, oh, I'm more free if I can choose to like something or not like something. But once you do love the purpose that you're serving, then you have freedom within it. You have this freedom to move and grow in it rather than constantly being in this struggle between good and bad, in this struggle between earthly freedom and spiritual freedom. So how do we get ourselves out of that struggle? And what do we do to get freed from freedom? Well, that's the last section we're going to look at today, so let's check it out, part five. Yeah, I exercise my freedom to talk past the end of the section there. Uh, so if, what, what is the dynamic here, this whole freed from freedom thing? Well, let's think about it like the mind, body, and the spirit that there are these different levels to us. Let's equate those with a spiritual, rational, earthly freedom. So which of these is going to be in charge? 
you know, spiritual freedom is in charge when heavenly love flowing into our highest level makes the decisions in our lives. Rational freedom is in charge when our limited ability to think and debate makes the decisions. Earthly freedom is in charge when bodily cravings and lower impulses make the decisions. So it's not about which, they all exist, and they're always going to exist, but which one of them is calling the shots, you know, which one of them has free reign. If you think about angels, Swedenborg describes that they have this kind of freedom, uh, but it's not the freedom like, hey, I can just do anything that I want. It's this freedom of, oh, I don't have to worry about the burden of evil. You know, I don't have to constantly, oh, do I want to uh, cheat this person or not? Do I think these negative thoughts about them? It's being freed from those. It's freed from these impulses to do evil, and that that can that that actually has so much more life to it, so much more potential to to grow and and move, and it's just it's on another level. Um, there's no draw for angels to want to go back to that to the where the way it was before. Oh, if I could only do evil, it's like wanting to crawl back into a teeny tiny cage after you've been allowed to roam the hillsides. You know, you you would never want to do it. However, angels do sometimes get back lower into this earthly freedom because they're still improving, just like we are. They we actually did a show called The Power of Angels the power of heaven's angels, and it talks about their their Achilles heel being, if they start to take credit and want to be better than other people, they suddenly are back in this earthly freedom and have to do a little processing and moving along and all that kind of stuff. So there's another episode to check out. I, I totally forget what number we're up to here. Let's see. Ooh, seven. I mean, I've come up. We never reference seven shows. You guys may be witnessing. I don't want to overhype this, but this could be history, what's happening right here. So we can compel ourselves, and it can still be part of freedom. Swedenborg says, it may, that may seem counter to freedom, but actually we are the most free when we are choosing, even though part of me doesn't want to do this, I am going to do this. I am going to, or I'm not going to do whatever they're trying to do. I'm going to act in integrity, even though there's a part of me, a part of my freedom that wants to that wants to avoid integrity, I know that this is a better way. So let's say we were that car mechanic guy, and the temptation is, hey, listen, I can make extra money at somebody's expense. Uh, That's misusing the rational freedom, but let's say we used it as it was meant to be used, and it's the same inside as it is outside. I'm only going to need to give you one tire. And that's all you have to pay for. Now, there's there's the reason to do that. Hey, that's just the right thing to do. But also, just thinking on a very superficial level, why do we go to auto? Me- I mean, why do we choose particular auto mechanics? It's all trust and reputation based. I ask people, who do you know? Do, can you trust them? Uh, that even have commercials saying, "We'll we'll never charge you something that that you don't need," because that's how you build this lasting customer base. In the end, it's gonna be way better than risking it on getting ahead. So there's a there's a little reward if if doing the right thing isn't enough. Swedenborg describes more about the the way that this dynamic works in Divine Providence 145. Since the inner and outer processes of our minds are distinct, the inner can even fight against the outer and forcibly make it consent. The struggle starts when we think of evils as sins and therefore try to refrain from them. Since to the extent that we do refrain, a door is opened for us. Once this door has been opened, the Lord expels the compulsions to evil that have kept our inner thought processes penned in. In their place, 
he plants desires for what is good, again in the inner levels of our thought. However, since the pleasures of our compulsions to evil that have been besieging our outer thought processes cannot be expelled at the same time, a fight starts between our inner and outer thinking. The inner thinking wants to expel those pleasures because they are pleasures in evil deeds and are incompatible with the desires for goodness that the inner thinking now enjoys. It wants to replace the pleasures of evil with pleasures in goodness because they are in harmony with it. The pleasures in what is good are what we refer to as the benefits that arise from our caring. The struggle begins with this disagreement, and if it becomes more severe, it is called a temptation. Ludenberg actually says that you can't advance spiritually without these struggles of mind, which play themselves out as hardships in life. That's just part of uh, part we ha- of what we have to go through. Um, and he continues in Divine Providence 145 about this process. Uh, Since we are human because of our inner thought, which is actually the human spirit, it follows that we are compelling ourselves when we force our outer thought processes to consent or to accept the pleasures of our inner desires, the benefits that arise from our caring. We can see that that this is not inconsistent but in accord with our rationality and freedom, since it is our rationality that starts this struggle and our freedom that pursues it. Our essential freedom, together with our rationality, dwells in our inner self and comes into our outer self from there. So when the inner conquers, which happens when the inner self has brought the outer self into agreement and compliance, then we are given true freedom and true rationality by the Lord. Then, that is, the Lord brings us out of that hellish freedom that is really slavery and into the heavenly freedom that is truly, inherently free, the actual freedom, the the essence of it. And... If you are wondering, we'll put one more in there about this, our central freedom together with our rationality dwelling in our inner self. You want to learn more about the inner self in that process, check out this episode, How to Find Your True Self. It's a nice thing to do, find your true self, and that ties into this process of going through our freedoms, although we don't discuss freedom there, but all these processes back each other up and intertwine and all that. So check that out, and this is just going to be amazing to see. Eight eight video references. And this is silly, it has a silly sound, but it does point to everything in Swedenborg is interconnected. You can't go talking about one subject without talking about the others, which is, if if he's really onto the truth, you'd expect that. Once you really are looking at life, you can't really talk about society without talking about technology, without talking about psychology, without talking about, uh, you know, anthropology, about climate, biology. There's just, it's all interconnected, and that's the way this this stuff is in Swedenborg's writings, and hopefully that's because this is reflective of, you know, it's, he's describing in part the spiritual reality that's connected to everything. So that's our little apology for why we had to have so many show references in this show. Heavenly freedom, the thing we're trying to get there is full of unending variety and joy. It is not like we have our options limited. This this is when life actually begins. Our options are so much greater than what we have here that it's, it's incomparable. And Swedenborg comments on this in a little-known book of his called Miracles and Signs, or here it just has a Latin title there, but we had a cool excerpt that we wanted to pull out uh, and set to video here, a little bit about heavenly freedom and what it is. Heavenly freedom is from the Lord. All the angels of heaven are in this freedom, 
and it comes from love to the Lord and from mutual love, so it is an affection of goodness and truth. The nature of this freedom can be known from the fact that all who enjoy it share their blessings and joy with others from the depth of their hearts, and their blessings and joy arise from their power to then share those things with others. Each angel is therefore a center of blessedness and joy for all in heaven, and because each individual is of a similar nature, there results a continuous circle, a never-ending participation, which is from the Lord alone. From this, something can be understood of the quality of heavenly freedom, since the Lord, from divine mercy, desires that all people be endowed with this freedom. The affection of goodness and truth is planted in such freedom. We need all these kinds of freedoms to get to that kind of bliss for us individually, for the whole human race. We need all these kinds of freedoms. Earthly freedom to choose or reject goodness, hopefully choose it, but but choose it in a way where it wasn't the thing you had to love. You could love what is harmful, what is toxic. You're free to do that. You get some joy out of that, but there's this other choice that we can come to freely. And that in that way, it's better because we can actually make it part of who we are. We can become this beacon of that light and of that love. That's what the earthly freedom can do for us. The rational freedom allows us to make sense of life and to make these informed decisions that really make things a part of us. And the spiritual freedom is this new life, this new joy, this new mode of being, this new slate of possibilities that come to us when God comes through us. So that's what we want for all of you. That's why we're giving you this information. If you want to practice right now exercising your spiritual freedom to the highest, highest magnitude, use it to like and subscribe. That helps this video get out. Maybe it would help. We'll set someone free in in some kind of way watching it. So please do that. And if you'd like to help make videos like this one possible, here's a little bit on our philosophy and uh, the way that donations make everything we do possible. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. Let's take a look at the questions. All right, so we have a few here. Uh, if you haven't gotten yours in yet, now is a good time uh, because you know we want to hear your voice and make sure that you feel heard. And there might be stuff that we thought of that you didn't think of or you thought of that we didn't think of or however that goes. And as you know, I, I don't really answer them. I just talk about them. And let's see what I can talk about today. Here's the first one. TN works. Why does evil get to influence people with illusions and coercion, but God cannot let people be aware he exists except through personal awareness, because to do so would jeopardize free will? It's a great question. So why why can... Evil is deceptive. Um, Why can't good be equally forceful? Well, anything you're deceived by doesn't become a part of you. So evil may be able to accomplish some kind of objective, um, you know, get something to happen, get you to make a mistake or something. But what you did when you didn't understand what you're doing, that doesn't become a part of you. God is looking to... His goals are much higher 
much more impactful in the long run than evil's gold, which is he's wanting us to freely choose good. Because uh, he could just come down and say, I'm real, you have to do this, and could get things accomplished, but wouldn't get the, the main goal accomplished, which is to have a human race that chooses heaven, makes it a part of them, and then lives it together. Di- Divine providence has the long game. Hell is essentially trashing their own resources to get where they want to go. So that's, that's the way that I feel about it. That may or may not be satisfying. Really, I mean, we could do at least one program on that. It's a great question. I'm sure you guys have your own thoughts. You can write them out in the comments. Thanks for asking. All right, next one. Bailey, can you define regeneration? Certainly. And I'm defining it in the Swedenborgian sense, which is, he's, we talk about earthly freedom, or all, which he describes often as hereditary evil. We're all born into, because of, you know, look at, look at that episode about Adam and Eve that we referenced earlier, that tells the story of why we're all born into negative tendencies, that there are these th- urges in us, or these, these, um, sort of associations with pleasure around negative things that we're all, we all begin with. People have different ones, but nobody is born just loving all the right things. We all have stuff to work on. That, Swedenborg calls that the old will or the, or the old person. Um, and what regeneration is, is God bringing a new life into us so that we go from loving just our own advantages and our own gratification to loving those at the least and loving the human race most and living out of true, unconditional, genuine concern for other people's happiness. That's regeneration, as described by Swedenborg. Um, and we, that, that really mirrors this freedom thing that we've been doing, because regeneration is essentially the process of moving to this heavenly freedom from earthly freedom. There is a book that the Swedenborg Foundation published. It's like an excerpt book of Swedenborg's, just Swedenborg material, but it's all the regeneration stuff brought together. I think it's called Regeneration. Check it out on Swedenborg.com. That gives you a quick definition. Um, and then we, we've done a few shows, had a, all of our shows touch on that, that theme. But that regeneration we, is a term that for what we would call spiritual growth now. It's essentially slowly letting God's will for goodness replace uh, hell's will for evil in us, So, that, according to my understanding of Swedenborg. Okay, a couple more here. Kelly, I believe our negative thoughts create our own mental prisons now and after death. Is this true? I I think that all hell is, is a result of, I guess you could call it stuff that we do, stuff that we think, the, the thinking patterns that we adopt certainly do become and become this prison. And that is certainly what Swedenborg says, that people who are in this hell state of mind, they because they love certain things and the negative thinking that spawns, that's what they go after, and that's what they cloud themselves with, and that's what they block themselves off with. That leads to all that. The, the only thing he would add is that even those negative thoughts uh, are coming from hell. So it's only us adopting those and thinking, oh, this is mine, I love the evil that goes along with this, so I'm going to grab it. That creates this kind of prison thing. If we're just confused or something, that can be cleared up, but certainly there is much more, um, we're, we're imprisoning ourselves more than God is punishing us and imprisoning us. So hopefully that's what you, I, I address what you're talking about there, but it's, it's great, I like you sharing your thoughts there. Uh, okay, we're going to do two more. 
Mark, can visionary type dreams take away your freedom? NDE type experiences. Well, this is interesting. When uh, when I was talking to Karen, who was writing this show, um, she, we were talking about Howard Storm, uh, who we had him on the program recently. He was an atheist. didn't didn't believe in in God or life after death or anything. He had this near death experience. This very famous near death experience. Um, and it was very powerful, completely changed how he thought. But in his near-death experience, he was told, hey, he's, you have to go back to earth. And he said, no way, I want to stay here, I want to stay in heaven. And he said, no, you got to go back and, and apply this in your life, because that experience alone wasn't, wouldn't change who he was. It was the day-to-day living that would do it. So it's not like they don't necessarily take away your freedom, but if that's all you have, that's not going to change you. You have to also be able to apply it in life, and that's why I, I think you get people who have these huge experiences come back and keep living and have to actually go through what's often a struggle applying it in little ways in that kind of freedom. So hopefully that speaks to that for you. Okay, last one. Mary, depression takes away my freedom because I lack confidence in self-worth, so how can I get my freedom back? I'm sorry about the depression. That's a, it's, a, it's a real drag. I have been diagnosed with depression. It definitely takes away freedom, and there's a lot of shades here. It's not simple black and white. Like There certainly are things that keep us from being in a position to live a full life and go through these things. As far as how you tackle depression, I'd say you got to go at it from a lot of angles. There's a physical component to it. Don't underestimate that. You know, this was, I'm just speaking from my own experience. I had to learn that you need to take care of yourself physically, nutritionally. You got to be hydrated, exercise, all that. Some people do find that antidepressants are helpful for for a period of time. You got to make that call on your own. I think it's a little too polarized, the discussion around it. For some people, it's great. Some people, it's not the right fit. You'll find out what's right for you. Um, And then, for me, it's be around the perspective of other people, because if you're getting clobbered by your own negative thoughts and taking away your self-confidence, often other people actually have a much better perspective and a much kinder perspective towards you than you have of your own self. So being around that, and then I would say higher principles. I mean, for me, the stuff in Swedenborg was so potent. Even this idea that the depression, the negative, the criticism of you it comes from hell. Only hell is going to try to criticize you like that because you're you're actually not uh, someone who should lack self confidence because you're cool. I mean, you're you're awesome. You are this unique creation that can contribute to the human race in a way nobody else can. You have all this potential. God, angels think you're so awesome. They're cheering for you every second of every day. But hell is is just taking pot shots at you. Like you're, you're, for me to realize that's what it is. That it's that it's hell trying to get you down, rather than, is this just me assessing the reality of who I am? Am I just getting these insights into who I am? To me, that was a game changer. You know, watch our series, How to Deal with Evil Spirits, The Lies Evil Spirits Tell Us, How to Free Your Mind from Hell, those episodes. Uh, that's, That's some of the best material I've found. That may or may not work for you, but hopefully some of those tools are useful in some way. So anyway, hope things turn out well for you. Mary, thanks for watching and and for sharing a bit of your story. Everybody else, thanks for watching as well. It's been great hanging out with you again. And next week, I do hope you'll be with us. We're going to look at the meaning of the strangest creatures in the book of Revelation in the Bible. So who wouldn't want to take that ride with us? Hope to see you all there. Thanks for hanging out. (music) 